You're listening to the Real Estate Radio Hour, the show that brings you unfiltered stories and insight from the Twin Cities real estate world with your hosts, Chris Rooney, broker at REMAX Preferred, and Andy Presky, leader of the Preferred Home Team at REMAX Advantage Plus. Hey. Good morning, good morning. I know I got sun in my eyes here. Well, that's all right. We'll go with it. Beautiful. Lost my voice a little. Yeah? Just a little. Been talking a little too much lately. But that's okay. <laughs> so we're yeah, waiting for Andrew to show up here. Yeah. She will soon. We changed the date on him, so obviously it's a little tough. Doing a Friday one instead of a Thursday one. Yeah, Thanksgiving. We didn't really think about that last week. <laughs> kind of just no. react, so... Uh, Kind of move the show from Thursday to Friday, Black Friday. Deals, deals. Deals, deals, deals. Actually, there's some deals in, in real estate too. What I should say, I don't I don't call them deals. I call them value. Because I think deals deals means that they're it's cheap versus value means it's it's seeing what the value is worth and getting a, a good bargain because of that. And you're seeing that. that you're seeing that right now in the market in Minnesota. Yes, for sure. A lot of good, a lot of good values out there uh, to be had. I know some of the new constructions even going down, which is kind of interesting to me because I just don't think they're maybe in the lower portion. They're they're in that position, but they're doing a lot of interesting things with financing to be able to help people out uh, to get in that are worried about these initial interest rates. And I think that's what they are. I don't think they're super long lasting. And when I mean, when I mean long lasting, I don't mean, I don't think it's going to be years and years and years of it. So I think you just got to deal with it for a few years. And um, like I said, you can get some values. And we talked about different things um, a while ago where maybe your payments up $500 a month. But if you look at that and that's 6,000 over a year, 30,000 over five years. And if you're getting a value of 40,000 off, you're still ahead of the game and you're not fighting other people to be able to get the house that you want. So there's some, there's some positives uh, in the market that uh, we'll keep it going, but we are, we are in a time that typically is a slow time. This is the slow time. You know, what last couple of years have been anomalies. They're just, uh, that doesn't happen that often, but typically between Thanksgiving and Christmas and even leading up a little to Thanksgiving and maybe a little hangover after Christmas, the market slows down. Yeah. I actually have a video here relating to what you were you're speaking on. I found this guy. He's been doing a lot of good things um, with the Instagram reels and real estate. So let's check this out. Okay, guys, so watch to the end of this video, and I'm going to prove to you why this market is so impatient. But look at this. Mortgage rates dropped faster this week than any time in the last 40 years. From 7.08 to 6.6, that's $100 less on a mortgage payment than this time last week. And it's $12,000 more worth of buying power. Now, how impatient is this? Despite recent dip in mortgage rates, uncertainty stalls the U.S. real estate market. It's been literally days. How in the world is the market supposed to turn on a dime? Listen, everything from here on out for the next 10, 20 years is going to be slow. Every little movement, even the shift right now, happened in slow motion. Nothing's going to just bounce back or, or change in a matter of a week. Even what we're going through right now took months and months and months for this to change. Guys, be patient. Big time. Patience. Patience is key, you know, and really, <clears throat> if you think about it, I mean, everyone's like, oh, my gosh, I better I better grab that rate right now. Or, geez, I better hold off a little on the rate. I mean, even if it's one hundred dollars a month, I mean, put it in perspective, people to put your whole life on hold for twelve hundred a year or what, five thousand after five years or four years. Um, it's just it's silly. <laughs> On this stuff, and I think that's what people just need to understand. But I really, I think where market stall is consumer confidence more than interest rates. They just want to know where things are going and where they're headed, where jobs are headed. I mean, if they're going to have a job, are they nervous about not having a job? You know, um, I heard it yesterday at Thanksgiving, and people are like, "Well, geez, I don't know. Maybe you shouldn't do that because 
Um, you know, we're not sure what the what the industry is going to do. Yeah, I, I'm not one of those guys. So, well, speaking about that, I mean, obviously, you've had uh, experience in history, and we're kind of dedicating this to the <coughs> memory of of Phil Rooney, who was kind of what a pioneer in southern south of the river real estate. Um, so you've been through all these different type of markets. I mean, what do you notice from like uh, the past or maybe when Phil was, was doing business compared to uh, now? And can we take that information and, and see what's going to happen here in the future? Yeah. Well, my, <clears throat> excuse me, my mom was um, licensed first. And so that was, I think it was in 1967, almost 1968. Uh, making me one years old. And then dad was basically right after that. And so as people know, my dad passed away um, last week. We just had the funeral on uh, on Wednesday. And so, um, but it was, it was cool. We got to talk about a lot of different things. And, and one of them was real estate. And he, he had a passion. He had a real passion for real estate, but it was a totally different time um, back then. And uh, I just think, you know, they obviously didn't have the tools and all the knowledge and everything that we have today. Um, but if you can imagine dealing with, you know, we're talking about these interest rates and being 6.6% is holy hell. Yeah, look at that. So from, you know, even from 19, almost 1990, they were over 10% upwards of in the low eight, early 80s, 18%. You know, but I think the one thing that didn't happen back then, Nick, was exactly what that guy was that was just talking. He was like, you know, this is what the, the media is doing. They didn't have the media back then. And the media wasn't stoking this, you know, fear in everyone and, and manipulating them and how they wanted them to live. And so it was one of those things that I think for yourself, you were trying to decide, boy, is this the right thing to do or is it not the right thing to do? But that's interesting. Put that chart back up because I really felt that that was – um, so it was around late seventies, early eighties. Yeah. That was the whole, yeah. Cause I thought we really felt it. Um, I remember when I graduated, we started, my dad and mom started building houses. I graduated in 1985 from high school. So the last couple of years of high school, they started building houses. And I remember their, their loans were like 15, 16% that they were doing. And so that was, it was tough, uh, getting people but it, it also came back to people started understanding hey I, I do need a place to live your home is where you hang out a lot of the time most of your time and you should enjoy it as well and so some people you have to pay for that to be able to enjoy it but they also figured out different ways in which to be able to um, get past those things and uh, a big thing was contract for deeds a lot of people back then did contract for deeds and what that means is that typically is that someone has to finance it. It's usually the owner would finance the house for you based on what their interest rate was previously. So when those rates were 14, 16%, some people had loans from, you know, mid seventies that would say they're eight, 8%. And so the sellers would go out there and say, you know what, I'll do a contract for deed. You put 10 or 20% down and I'll give you an interest rate at 8%. And so that's how they fought it. I, I still see that coming here, even though we have a thing what's called due on sale clause. And a due on sale clause, what that means is that if you pay off your mortgage, or I should say if you sell your home, that you have to pay off your mortgage. And so a lot of our mortgages right now have that clause. So you have to kind of work past it. And, um, and, that's, and it's not, I mean, check with your tax and legal advisors, but um, you you'd have to, you know, try to make a deal with the bank on that, or just try to get past it uh, with them. And you know, people now could turn around and sell their house. Maybe they've got a three percent interest rate. Maybe they can sell it at a five percent interest rate, still beat the rates by, you know, a percent or two, and uh, not only make money on their money, but be able to get a buyer that's going to come through and give them an advantage by giving them that uh, interest rate. So makes your house look better. You think there'll be ever a time again it goes over 10%, the rates? 
I doubt it. I just, I, I think there's just too much pressure now um, on people. I mean, the media would go berserk and people would go crazy on Twitter. And, you know, I just don't think now everyone's held a little more accountable, I hope. Um, but back then you just didn't know and you just were kind of at the, the mercy. And I think the less people knew, it was probably better for them, actually. Now people are finding out too much and, and figuring it out and getting videos like that guy's doing right there and starting to kind of make people question what the heck's going on. I got a couple more from him, actually. So let's keep playing this. Um... Now, when Billy here wrote this article, do you think he was thinking about you or how many clicks he can get? No buyers in sight? 52% of all listings that are selling right now are going at or above list price. We're down 30% in transactions this year, which means 70% of the same amount of buyers are buying from this time last year. Last year was a banger. And if you think prices are going to fall 25%, heck, we're already down over 10% right now. So we're going to go down another 10%. Ooh, I'm scared, Billy. <laughs> it's so true. I mean, there's a perfect example when he was talking about clicks. I mean, you look at some of these, and we've had them too. I mean, to be able to all of a sudden it gets thrown up there, and it's like, oh, my gosh, there's no, half the realtors in America are not paying their rent, you know, and it's it's that's not what it is. It's, I mean, it's, it's a joke. They think that the real estate companies aren't paying their rent. I mean, the commercial market's going to destroy, but what's saying is that, the realtors, which is usually always this way, they they have to pay to play. So they usually have to pay to work at where they're at. And they weren't paying their rent to the broker, which is not unusual at all. That might have been a 10% in, uh, flux on it. But it's just like they're throwing in it. 40% of the realtors haven't done it. Well, 30%, even during the great times, realtors weren't paying it. And a lot of times brokers let them get away with it because they're like, hey, if they sell a house next month, we'll end up getting paid. And so you kind of roll the dice. So, so you think the mass hysteria has really hit uh, the real estate industry relating to social media? People are just trying to get everyone's emotions up and clicking. I think you, I think you try to click on anything. I mean, yeah. there's elections, you know, there's politics, there's uh, whatever it is. There's shootings, mass shootings. There's uh, real estate. Whatever is high at the time, people are going to try to capitalize on it. And then, but that does curb consumer confidence. It's what people believe. And if they believe that the market stinks, you know, they're going to stay away from it and hold back. But the one thing that we have in the market, it's this very stable market. There's not much inventory. And when there's not a lot of inventory, you know, people can just hang, hang tight. And that's what we've been doing. We've been hanging tight and getting our, the price that we want, you know, because people think they can come in if it hasn't sold in two days, that they can get it for 100000 less. It's just not the case. It's not happening that way. Now, there's some deals. We've gotten some deals for our buyers that are really good, but those sellers were in situations that they had to do it. So regardless of what the market was, you know, the last market, they could have probably capitalized on all those different people, but they wanted out. It wasn't that, hey, that the value is just falling. They're like, we just want out. We got to go. We have other things that we want to do and be able to do and uh, just want to end this and move on. And that, that's where you can get a deal. That's how deals come about. So, but it's, you got to find the right opportunity. Well, going back to the, the Phil and uh, back, what was the issues that he had? And then when he, cause he kind of did some real estate in the new age, you know, with the computers and whatnot, what was he saying? The big differences were the pros and the negatives from uh, back in the day to now, what was he saying? I think what the, we'll just call them the old timers, the Phil's and the, you know, those people that were licensed, I would say in the 70s and 80s that were licensed, you know, they didn't have all the technology, obviously, until probably mid-90s. But the other thing that happened was, it's just, it's just like you. You can go on, on the internet and find any listing there is. Well, before, that was all of our information. We had that. And you as a consumer had to come to us. And everyone was super afraid when that happened, that the buyers would just go, you know, right to, right to the owner. And so when we shared that information and took it from just ours, where we had it in a little book, and Nick had to call me so I could take him around and show him these houses, 
all of a sudden now they're out on the internet and everyone can see them. Yeah. And I think that was more of a, um, I don't know, in their mind, it was like, oh my gosh, what are, what are we going to do now? It may be fought back differently than rather than embracing it, yeah. you know? They almost like fought it. Like well, they were like gatekeepers, right? That's what they're yeah. basically doing. Yeah. Yeah. So they wanted to keep that information. But in reality, once people had the information, it made our job a lot less or a lot more streamlined. Because rather than us, I mean, because I worked in those times before the computer hit, before we released all that information. And we obviously needed the internet to be able to get that uh, information released. But before that happened, we, um, would have to show people houses a lot. You know, now when people go look at houses, they cruise on online, they see which ones they like, we maybe go see one or two. They eliminate all the bad ones. That's why it's so important what you put on that MLS. People don't get that. Everyone says, oh my gosh, I got to do a, you know, a, a funny reel. I got to do a Facebook post. I got to do this and that. What you got to do is you got to make your listing look good online because MLS takes it and then shoots it out to everyone. But um, but we used to, I mean, no question, we would probably at least have three to five days of showings, you know, in seven to eight houses a day to be able to try to get them to kind of understand what the market is. The Internet now gets you to understand. You can look at them right in a row and say, oh, that one's 500, 520, 515, 530. All right, that's the market. Before, we had to show them 20 houses so they could see them and kind of dissect them and feel it out and say, okay, what's it worth? And then you start buying. So our process was really pushed out back then. And it's just gotten a lot better. But if you don't deal with that and you don't know that, you know, and you've never worked on a computer or didn't even see one in high school or college, if you went, you know, you were kind of a little adverse to going that route. They had a book and they had it in the front seat of their car and they just drive around. That was the other thing, old days. I mean, my dad knew every street there was. He knew every single street. He was like a pizza delivery man because he, he knew that. And I remember him telling that was one of the things that I really kind of took from him. He said, just when you're not doing anything, just keep driving around. Figure out what the streets are because people are going to say, you know what, there's one on Huron. And you think, where the hell's Huron? You got to know where Huron is. You got to be able to drive there. And, and meet someone there. And the other thing was that was different is that they were in your car. They were not driving and meeting you there. Everyone jumped in the car, in the realtor's car, and we drove around and we went and looked at all these houses. <laughs> and so, because when we had a bunch of them, you know, it was a whole day kind of, uh, of a thing. So it was, it was a lot, uh, a lot different. I think how you sold to people was different. You know, I had, I had talked about in that eulogy, the different things um, with him of, you know, like what his sales words were, you know, oh, you'll, you'll never see another place like this. I've never seen one like this. This is unbelievable. You better hurry because it's going to sell fast. All of those type of things were, you know, common phrases back then where people didn't know if they were going to sell quick or not. You know, now they know. They can see it right live in front of them and, and look at it at 2 in the morning. That's why I always tell realtors now. I said, you have to remember, these buyers know that market. The market they're looking in, they know it better than you. And they're all like, what? There's no way. I work it. I mean, like myself, I work in Prior Lake all the time. But I'll tell you what, I don't concentrate for the last three months looking at everything in Prior Lake that's sold or is on the market between 300 and 325. Those people have, and they've been watching. They know everything about it. And so they know that market better than I have. So I've got to know the whole market better. What it used to be is that, you know what? Nobody knows about these listings, so I can pretend I know more than that. So You think in the past the, the realtors were way more car salesmen and not as uh, respected in the industry? Or in, Yeah, I don't know. Yeah. I don't know if not more respected, but I would definitely say more car salesy from what from what I remember. I remember first getting into the industry and that just was wasn't who I was. It just wasn't that guy. And I was big, big, big into um I gotta know what I'm talking about because I don't want to look stupid. And um I I ended up and my dad encouraged me too 
to uh, talk to some of the younger realtors that were, you know, kind of cutting edge and moving into technology and stuff. And I started learning from them and looking at how they handled themselves and what they did versus, you know, what I grew up with and uh, kind of took a little of those pieces. Um, and I think that's the one thing, I, big thing, biggest thing probably that I learned from my dad is being able to, um, you know, represent your client ferociously, go after that client and represent them and work in their best interest. Um, I think that was the biggest thing that I got from him that I took over. And then I took bits and pieces from a lot of different people to kind of do what I do now today. Beautiful. Let's get into some of these listings. I think we're going to go over current ones. You guys both have listed. So you might have to sell some of Andy's too. And uh, where is Andy? I think he, he didn't get the memo. We went today, different day. He went to, he went to sleep. Okay. Well, I'm not doing his show some of mine. I'll do mine. I will. We'll, we'll do the commercial first. So it's brought to you by Chris Rooney, home experts. Okay. I was just one years old when my family started in real estate where both my parents were agents. They also dabbled in investing in real estate, rentals, flips, and construction. After college, I went right into getting my license in July of 1990. As a 23-year-old agent in an industry that looks nothing like today, I had to know more for my clients to choose me. There wasn't Zillow or social media to tell them how good I was. I had to win them over with knowledge. With knowledge comes confidence, and with confidence comes results. That's interesting because that uh, that whole uh, this one's already sold. That one sold off market, Mister Nick, right there. Oh, the Fairline one. Got oh. that off. Uh, yeah, that was um, knowing from a client and and networking with other agents and being able to get that before that even went on the market for. You can see it's two point five million dollars. That's on the lake. That's a that's a case of just knowing the market, um, and and what that market's willing to be able to bring toward to you. And uh, we got that on. See that nice little pending thing there? It's cute. I'll get the other one. Hold on. Uh, there's another one we have. Literally, we have another one just right down the street. Yep, I think I found it. Perfect. So I've, I've been fortunate um, to get a lot of um, lifestyle type um, listings and stuff. And so Lakeshore, acreage, um, townhome living, you know, things that become a lifestyle. I mean, if you live on the lake, you know, you're going to pay for it. And, um, but it, but it's a lifestyle and it's, it's something that really you just, you can't explain unless you live on it. So this house right here, I think what's interesting about this one is um, we've had, real good opportunities of things selling in and around that $2 million mark now on the lake. And so if you get a walkout rambler um, that's on the lake, in, in this case, there's 150 feet of lakeshore. So they've got a ton of uh, extra lakeshore. You can see it goes to, over to those pine trees on the right-hand side. Um, and this has got a back deck as well. But it on, sits on the uh, big part of the lake, which is Lower Prior Lake. And uh, you can see it's a walkout rambler, but it's a more kind of a mid-century kind of feel. So kind of uh, low roof lines, but lots of windows, get a huge deck on it. Um, for the most part, this place is, um, again, it's on, it's on a perfect location, but you can see right there, there's a great example, is that what's interesting about it, it becomes a lot more private because it sits down off the road a little bit. So to the right of this photo is the main drag which that other house we saw the pending one is on, but it sits on there and is, they've got this really nice paver driveway that kind of gradually goes down and then into the garage. But what it, what it allows, which doesn't happen a lot on the lake, is that you get privacy. And getting privacy on the lake from the front is very rare. It's very rare. In this area as well, you can park on both sides of the street. And that's a lot of things that people don't think about when you're on the lake, but a lake is a lifestyle you usually have friends and people over. So you want them to be able to park somewhere. There's a lot of places on the lake that you can't park even on the street and or sometimes it's only on one side of the street. So here you got both sides of the street. You got a huge 
driveway, all fully landscaped. They put about 200,000 into landscaping here. And then as we go into the house, you can skip into some of those pictures into the house. You'll see it's pretty, uh, So you'll see it's it's pretty updated. It's got the you know the cherry floors and the the alder woodwork, um, the paint. You know now okay. So here's when when we're talking a deal or value, here's where it is. And so you know these paint these paint colors. I mean, if you look at them, they're probably you know about two thousand six colors is what I would call them. But if you can imagine and see in, and see in this is be able to be able to switch that. I mean, it changes the whole house. And the whole feel of it and even when you do like a red here and a tan here if it's all one it becomes bigger there is a fireplace that sits in the middle of the home and that's a lot of the the mid-century type houses had that where they have the big center two-sided fireplace that sits in the middle but it does sit in the middle <laughs> and so some people um might not um enjoy that but look at this high-end kitchen i mean it's wolf appliances sub-zero um, refrigerator. It's got all the makings of a house that's going to be in the two to 2.2 million, but it's listed at a million seven ninety five. Just little things to be able to do to it, to be able to kind of get it to that value. So that to me is a value. We've got it priced right for what it is, but for, for a couple changes, you create this huge value of a home, 150 feet on lower prior Lake, 4,600 square feet uh, walkout Rambler. I mean, I just sold a Rambler down the street that had 3,800 square feet, sold it for 2 million. Had another one that was 3,900 square feet, sold it for 2.1 million. So you you can kind of see the where, when I'm talking about this whole value thing, because for the most part, this place is totally updated. There's just little things that it needs to be able to kind of hit the next round. Beautiful. So there's another one too, preserve. You're going to make me keep talking. Uh-oh. So, there he is. There's my man. Hey. Morning. My turkey. Uh, okay, first of all, we're yeah. talking about, we're doing some um, some listing talk here, but what I want to hear from you, because this is always the highlight, what did you do with the turkey yesterday? Well, my first little baby, um, I smoked, and uh, I, I smoked it. I shredded it. You guys know what it's like at the uh, at the state fair. They do the turkey to go booth, where they literally have that like amazing juicy turkey sandwiches that are shredded. Uh, you should try them if you haven't. They're one of the best sandwiches there at the fair. Um, so I found a recipe that duplicated that. So I had a crock pot of shredded turkey with the to go like that juicy smoked. Oh my god. It, that's my new favorite. I got to be honest with you. And then we just uh, oh, you made sandwiches. Yeah, that's the plan today. Yes. Yeah. Oh, wow. oh, that's yeah. today. Well, you know, you always see people making turkey sandwiches. So I said, Ooh. hey, I'll, I'll uh, beat you to it. And uh, offered these guys the ability just to make a turkey sandwich right off the shoot. Yeah. Um, then I then I uh, I tried. Uh, you, do you really want all my details? Because I got details. <clears throat> so I also did a, a baked turkey, about a 22 pound turkey. Um, I do fresh, I make fresh herbs, um, where the herbs I put into a butter and I put them under the skin and it's a butter herbed turkey that turns out stupid. I mean, it's, that's like ridiculous. And then I did one last one just for fun, just cause I was, didn't have anything else to do. I did a fried <laughs> Creole turkey. Come on. See, this is why I asked Nick, this is what happens every year. Yeah. This, this is a turkey man. So no bacon involved this year. No, you know, I, I don't, I think they look really cool and they taste amazing, but people are confused. You know, when you, when you pull out the old bacon wrapped turkey breast and they look at it and go, well, how do we eat that? You know? So it's like, and even when you, and then you slice it and the bacon comes off. So it, it was a very fun production. Like when we did it the one year, but it, uh, I saw, I saw you pardoned one of your turkeys too. Yeah. Did you like that? Yeah. Oh man, I I was trying. You know, these guys always want us to come up with, oh, be funny or be creative, and I'm like, you've been doing a lot of content lately. Haven't seen Andy. It's good. Yeah, they they uh they're pushing me hard over here. This is the first time I've ever seen you with a hat on too. Yeah, I, I could go without. It oh. looks the same either way. 
So you don't style that every day. It's just natural. It, well, yeah, it's pretty. It's it kind of goes like this. Yeah. He just he just came out of bed. That's what it looks like every day. He's well, perfect. you know, my God, I I see. I uh, I told these guys I was joking. I said it was about midnight, and they're having dance contests in my kitchen, and I'm like. All right, I go, hey, I got to go make sure my charger plugs into my phone upstairs and did the old Irish goodbye and left. And I don't know how late they stayed up, but my God, there was cans and plates and everywhere. So I, I just got up and started cleaning. And I'm like, might as well make some monkey bread. So I was like, so I started making some monkey. Well, Andy, we've been we've been talking. We did a little, uh, yeah. we're doing a little tribute to my, my father. Oh, um, awesome. On the... You know, kind of, and and with that, which it was more about just real estate history and maybe what yeah. they went through. You know, your parents sure, were sure. both realtors yeah. as well, um, and it's just kind of the the differences of of, of what they were going through. And then we just started um, looking at different listings. I know we've done a lot of, you know, stuff on Zillow, and we pick a listing yeah. and and we yeah, do right. that. But it's kind of like we don't know much about it. We kind of are thrown on, you know, thrown out on stage and, and trying to do it. And that's kind of what we've been, but we've decided, Hey, why don't we market a few of our own stuff? So I just did uh, one that we had on the lake and kind of explained that. So I think we should uh, bring one up for Andy here and let him, uh, let him sell us. Actually hot, hot and on the market are coming. What's that? Yours, are you talking about yours, yours is coming buddy right here. Oh, look at that. Jeez. That was back right after the hydro seeded the yard. Oh. Yeah, that's uh, one of our new ramblers. See, with, here's what's crazy. So we've had, with the financial woes of, of the marketplace, we've actually had with this builder here, we've had some really good luck with, um, you know, properties that are under production where, let's say, the financing falls through because interest rates jumped up or whatever happened. And so then those houses were already under production. And so here's a great opportunity where you say, oh, there's nothing for sale. Well, we, I have for sale, I have 30 houses, Chris, that um, are under production right now that are available to buy. This is one of them up in Blaine. Nice walkout lot. You see all the trees in the back. It backs up to a, a farm behind there for now. You know, I think it'll be developed eventually, but beautiful walkout lot. And it's got the screen porches in the back and the, there you go, uh, the gourmet kitchens and all big windows for lots of light. And uh, yeah, nice big open floor plan there. Yeah, fireplace. Yeah, you could have a Thanksgiving here pretty easy. You know, being the, the style of that house, you got the dining room, kitchen, and the, the um, great room all right together there. I so, think what's kind of interesting on that one is that you actually did a screen porch that most people won't get. You don't get a new construction because builders are trying to hold off and not – I mean, that's they're not cheap to be able to build. And to be able to put that into it, you're taking away possible – Square footage is their basement finished. Uh, it, it can't at that price. I can now finish the basements. Yeah, prices prices have come down. It's great. It's like so that was a perfect example of a house that was custom ordered and then had some features like they did not want the basement finished um, on that house. But we we probably could for we'd do it at our cost or less for sure. Wow. Yeah. No, that would be one where I know the. The, we've got I've got one right across the street from that too that's um, in the in the mid fives and uh, ready to go. Hey Nick, go back to that listing. I want Andy to kind of talk about um, something that a lot of people talk about is that per square foot price and why why are Ramblers more than like a two story? Well, you know you can take the same foundation, you can take the same roof on the house if you if you look at it from a cross section, right? And you basically just lift the same roof up. You can take advantage of the same foundation and you just add another floor. So when you add a two-story or you go up on a, on a house like that, and let's say that, you know, you're well over $300 a square foot on your main level, um, that number got skewed a little bit too because of the porches and things like that. So it's my, because my average isn't normally that high um, in that area. It's in the threes, you know, kind of a sh mid 320s sometimes. But anyway, you get into where you finish the baseball also drops into the 200s per square foot if you count it, you know, but Appraisers don't count it. So the appraiser will appraise that house just fine without the basement finished versus the consumer will come in and say, I want the basement finished. I'll pay more for a finished basement. So, so, so basically you have that basement that's sitting there yeah. that you could probably finish for a hundred bucks a square foot, whatever it is, and take that 373 40. down to 260. 
Yeah, no, we, we can finish basements pretty reasonable. I mean, you know, basement normally for us is, you know, it depends on how big it is. It's, you know, 40, 50 bucks a square foot, you know? Yeah, yeah so you're, I mean, that's craziness. Yeah, well, but you have to be competitive, you know? And the thing is, is that the crews are there and everybody says, oh, they're already there. It should be cheaper. Well, even than that, because I mean, up in the North Metro, a lot of people think they can finish their basement for 10 grand themselves. And then they realize, my God, the cabinet shop just spent me an $18,000 wet bar. You know, I mean, it's, it's ridiculous how expensive things really are yeah. um, when you add them up. So when you have a builder that'll finish a basement for you for forty, fifty thousand dollars $50,000, you know, or, or, you know, this guy's actually doing them for free. Um, no joke. You order a new house because it takes a while. So they appreciate people ordering houses too. So these guys will do things like throw free basements in. Everybody's like, well, how do you do a free basement? I go, I literally have a spreadsheet. And instead of charging you the $48,000, we don't. And it's like, so you literally get a free basement. But then you're also waiting, you know, 12 months to build your house. And a lot of people with the vulnerability of markets, and they're like, well, rates could be higher. They could be lower. And, and so then, you know, the big thing, the key thing right now, Chris, is financing. If, if, if people need to attain financing, that's kind of where we start with people. And then the, the lenders of the builder are locking people out 360 days, no penalties. Um, you know, you can convert it to a different product. So yeah. it's crazy. Yeah. What to, how about that, the area that that's in? Obviously, it's a new construction area. Yeah. What kind of neighborhood is it? I mean, because I think that's what you have to do from a builder standpoint, too, is you have to look at all these factors when you're developing that, let's just say, that model. And, you know, why did you put a screen porch on it versus finish in the basement? And why did you do this and do that? And why did you, is it a price point that you wanted to get at? And typically it is because of a neighborhood. Right. And and that and the, the, when you look at your competition too, you look at, that's the other thing that a lot of builders do. We'll do an analysis of the area and we'll just say, okay, what other builders are offering what, at what price? And then how do we stick out or how do we, you know, um, make ourselves, you know, the, the place that they come to. And with, with, the empty nester crowd, it's kind of odd because it, it seems like they're, um, there's those that want complete maintenance-free living townhouse, um, and they're okay with being attached. Then there's those that want detached, and then there's those that want detached, but they don't want any rules. And so then uh, that's where we kind of slide in. But I'm telling you, you know, not a lot of people want to retire and, and have a $600,000 budget for a house. I mean, a lot of people come to us and say, what can you do for $400,000, and that's more common nowadays. And, and we can, it's just the houses get smaller or you have to go a little farther out. Um, and hey, if you're not commuting to work every day, as long as you're close to the amenities that are important to you, you know, if it's, is it shopping, is it restaurants, is it a hospital? You know, do you have a clinic that you have to go to a couple times a week? Whatever it is, you just kind of do your circle around that now. A lot of times it's interesting too, Chris, it's the, the grandkids and or the commute to the cabin that makes a big difference. That's why Blaine's a popular one there. You know, a lot of people that go up that east side of Minnesota or straight north into, you know, Mille Lacs or whatever, straight out of that area, 65 and, um, you know, McGregor, wherever you go up north. Um, I see last, my Alexandria crowd on the other side. Last two houses I've sold, both $2.5 million. They're people that are, they're part-time homes for them, but they have grandkids in the area and they want them to be able to hang out with them. And so yeah, they, yeah. yeah. That's like the number one, you know, they want to be near the kids. Mm -hmm. We're seeing that too, Andy, with new construction. In our, in our neighborhoods, it's it's crazy that, um, you know, you, you think that people are going, they're downsizing, but what they're doing is they're just creating a li the lifestyle that they want. And what they right. want is they want people to come and visit them and to be able to stay with them. And so they're creating suites for like each kid. You know, yeah. put it in, put it in pools and um, just well, making it comfortable for people to come. We, we had, uh, God, was it two years ago? I had a, a build and they took us all the way out to Buffalo, Minnesota. And, and this guy wanted to have the big Rambler and, and have a sport court behind the garage. Uh, and everybody's like, what are you crazy? Nobody will ever buy this house. And he goes, oh, cause I'm 60. I can't shoot baskets or hang out with my grandkids in the sport court or what? And I go, this guy's a genius. He, yeah. he literally, for about 50 grand, built this sport court. And guess where they always want to go now? They go to grandma's grandma's because they have a sport court. <laughs> yep, exactly. Yeah. That's what I sold. I sold to an empty nester people. It was almost 7,000 square foot home, you know, that they weren't thinking. They were looking, thinking a rambler. Instead, they got a 7,000 square foot home with a big sport court, bedroom on the second story. They're very active people. But why? 
because of exactly what you just said. Uh, that's where they hang out, grandma and grandpa's, you know. Well, that's, you know, you think about like these big holidays like we just went through and you, you think like, okay, so if I build a place and I want to be the entertainer and you like to do those things, I, I tell you what, I can help you design something that you'd like because I, I, I live it, man. I'm like, okay, you need a spare bedroom for this. You need a spare bedroom in the bathrooms of this. Whatever. So I can lay all that out, make it comfortable. Um, but, you know, again, you know, it depends on how, what kind of a family they have to your family. Do they come into town and stay overnight for a couple of days? Are they the kind of family just comes to visit for a couple of hours? And, you know, when you design something that you can afford the taxes on, because I'll tell you what, Chris, long after we, you know, we're big income earners, we're like, oh yeah, we're powerful. We make all this money. You retire and now you're at the mercy of whatever yields you get, you know, off these investment funds and whatever else, or however you do it. And, and then all of a sudden, you know, you have a slow year and you still got those, you know, $15,000 in taxes to pay. And uh, it can get ugly. I mean, and the, the bigger the house, the more the heat, uh, you know. Yeah. True. How many how many houses do you do, Chris, where they look for alternative uh, heat sources? Not man. We we just Not did many. a geo we just did a geothermal one. Yeah, um, that's right. Yeah, yeah. And that's you know it's probably what fifty grand I would say. And um, geothermal really matters on kind of what you have to work with and what kind of soils you have and mm -hmm. all of that kind of stuff. It could be a lot more expensive. You could even get less. But uh, just depends on soils, which I I never really knew that. I thought, well, just dig a hole, you know. They do it, but right. where where the water is, you know, there's it's pretty very interesting. So it it is, and it's you know, like you look at areas like I was thinking about up in Alexandria where they have you know, um, I, I joke because they, they don't have natural gas coming to the houses around the it, roads are paved, sewer, um, you know. Of course, you have your own well. Um, but then there, there's high speed, uh, fiber optic internet. Um, but then you have to go to propane for your heat. Yeah. And I'm like, that's, that's ridiculous to me. And so, I mean, I remember a couple of years ago when propane used to have to give a kidney to get your propane tank filled and, uh, you know, so now it's like for me up there, I'm, I'm looking at wood burning wood stoves. I'm looking at the different versions of solar. I'm looking at geothermal. I'm looking at every resource I can to figure out a way. Cause I'm thinking long-term, like, I'm like, okay. I own this place for 30, God bless, 40, 50 years. Lord. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, uh -huh. okay, who's kidding? Who's kidding? I got about eight years left. Um, <coughs> one of the hard eight years. And uh, no, it, you, so you get out there to the cabin and you, you, you put into it what, you know, and then you don't have to worry about it or think about it. I think that's a lot of people, how they buy houses. They look at the investment and they say, you know what? I want, remember, remember when we had the guys from, uh, was it, uh, what was it, uh, company Sala? So they came to our the radio and they talked about that net zero house. You don't remember? Okay, That's so we had an architect that came in. Yeah, it was uh, I think the company was called Sala S A L A, and they did a net zero home and it was about two million dollars. And the guy goes, "Yeah, it's about a four hundred thousand dollar house. There's that much into making this house a net zero. You know, yes, all green, no, you know, um, impact on the local area, right? A net zero home, and it was really a cool." idea but it's like like he said he goes what are your values because he said that's all that it comes down to is like if you have that in your in your you know um in you that you want to spend that much money to make a net zero house but nobody else can afford that so you you understand that you're making an investment that your neighbors can't ever pay you for if they want to buy your house you know or whoever yeah yeah but but there, but there is there's there's people for everything there really yeah. is it was it's funny last night at thanksgiving uh, my brother-in-law was over and he was talking, his kid plays in the ju juniors in hockey in Wisconsin and uh, in Chippewa Falls, it's called the Steel. And nice. these teams are owned by people. And he said, yeah, he just found out that they were for sale. And he said that uh, the owner is, is a lady in California. And they basically use them as tax write-offs that these, these, so it was just kind of neat. That's but crazy. It's like, or it's like, hey, I've got money. What? Yeah. Why wouldn't you want to own a junior hockey team? Kind of cool. I, 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 it sounds cool. I own a hockey team in uh, Wisconsin. Yeah. I think you can buy one. I think it's 500000 bucks if you want to buy one, Andy. That's crazy. Yeah. Wow. So. I'm good. Wow. Look at that nice listing. Who's got that? Um, Andrew Prasker? Prasky. Praskily? Praskily. Yeah. 
No, that's a uh, that's a nice house too. That's my most popular plan. The the Cape Cod ends up being about two thousand nine hundred and sixty square feet above ground, something like that. Four bedrooms up, loft, laundries up, lots of fancy woodwork, main floor office. You can see this. It's open, open stairs. It's really it's a nice house. Nice windows, night, lots of tons of natural light. Kitchen's awesome too. So, and that that house you can build in the high sixes as well. So. Kind of cool. Yeah. How many bedrooms up is there? Four. Four bedrooms up. I get a lot of buyers, though, nowadays, too, that are, um, they want, you know, a main floor office to turn into a bedroom or what, and you just add a closet or whatever. That's that's unbelievably popular now. Mm -hmm. Getting a yeah. main floor room. It's not yeah, necessarily for the owner, but it's maybe for elderly parents. Correct. Yeah, that, I see that a lot, you know, where the, you, you've got an environment where mom and dad are going to come visit for, you know, two months in the summer and they want them to be comfortable because they, they respect their elders. Yeah. Yeah. Well, so, I think that's, that's interesting. And you should talk about that because I was, um, I got the honor to do a eulogy for my dad and I was trying to come up with um, some ideas and I was, you know, I think once you, you know, you live with a parent that maybe it was having a hard time for yeah. a while and you start thinking about you know that they become a burden and a problem and blah 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 and i so i started doing some research and i was going to try to tie in like the way we deal here in america how we deal with our elders and so i i went and went to my little dictionary here that just popped up on the screen and uh said you know what what is it that they do over there and i mean all the people live typically longer when they're doing it but a lot of multi-generational living is there nick oh yeah yeah big time um and then it's not like they're the older people are paying too in the household they're cooking they're cleaning they're babysitting right. they're moving around um so they definitely pay their rent so to speak you, you remember we had that guy on our show wasn't it the the millennial that was called the blue zones he's a twin cities guy he wrote the book for National Geographic. Maybe I paid more attention than you did. <laughs> and came on and talked about all these areas where there's high concentrations of people that are in, over 100 years old. And um, they talked about cultures in Greece and Japan and all over the world. And then he goes, in the top 10 um, areas, there's not even a, a word that they can translate to, to the word retirement. And they, they just they keep adding value in there. The, the success of these people was based on sense of community. Um, I think they all consistently drank wine together. They had the, the parties together. The men would get together. The women would get together. Um, a lot of them were very light on their meat eating. Um, they would have lots of like regular food during the week. And then they'd have like goat day and they'd, you know, grill a goat and everybody would engorge in, in the meat to get the proteins and whatever. Um, but uh, there was one group out of California too that, uh, um, they, they all swim every day. I don't know why. It's just a, a community, a, a religious community. They swim and they're very active and they eat the granola lifestyle. And they actually are proving that it works because they're living longer. But anyway, it is it is interesting because you're right. There was a, a, a story within that story of an old man and he was 100 years, 105 years old or something like that. And they're, uh, they're showing him up on a fence and they go, here was Giuseppe making the fence today. And he's up there like working on the fence. And they go, here he is tomorrow. And they show an operating room. And you're waiting for him to say, so don't do this. And he goes, he's the surgeon. He was a surgeon and he was active. He still was building fences. He was over hundred years old. And this guy was a, a, still an active surgeon. I'm like, you gotta be kidding me. <laughs> Giuseppe. <laughs> yeah, well, and I, I, I think that was his name. I'm not sure. You might not want to write that down because I don't know how to spell it anyway, but um, he, uh, you know what I'm saying? It was just crazy. And it's like, so, and then they showed these uh, older, especially like in Japan, they would show like mom would stay with the families, you know, and, and they would take care of the children, the, the young kids, mm -hmm. almost like an in daycare in-house. Yep. And then mom didn't have to worry about who was paying the bills or who was providing the food. She just took care of the, the family. It was, it was really why, cool. Why isn't that happening in the U.S.? Why doesn't that happen in the U.S.? Because they want to take all of our money when we go to nursing homes. That's why. Big business. I right? think it's a big money grab. I really do. I think nursing homes are the biggest scam out there because they, I mean, what's a nursing home now? 12 to 15,000 a month for a person. I don't care how successful you are. You're not going to make it very long in a nursing home pulling that kind of cash out of your account before you're at the point of where you're broke. Yeah. But I, I think they've almost like made it say, Hey, put them in here. 
they'll be taken care of. You don't have to worry about anything. And um, do you think it's more like instant offer? It's like an instant offer on your house. Just instant solution for grandma. Yeah. But do you think it's because we look at it like, Hey, that's convenient now for us. Yes. Much easier for us. Just get rid of them, throw them in that house and, you know, or throw them in the, in the old folks place. And then uh, we could go live our lives. Well, it depends. I mean, if you have somebody that's struggling with, you know, health issues or mental illness or whatever, because it it does happen a lot with, you know, when you're going through phases of life where um, they kind of joke about having to have somebody on patrol because there's always the the old guy that escapes and runs down the street in his underwear. And they're like, and it's, but it's funny, but it's not funny. I mean, because could you imagine coming home from work and not knowing your dad is or where your mom is? And you're like, oh my gosh, that, that, that would be hard. So I do understand that side of it, but I mean, you know, if, if they're just old and there's nobody to take care of them and I don't know, I, I had a couple, and I say this cause I know they're out of state. Um, mom and dad lived here. The daughter lived out in New Jersey. The dad passes away and there's nobody here. I mean, the, the woman wouldn't even come out here to help her clean out the house. And she was old. She couldn't walk. She was in a wheelchair. Um, that was that. Did you ever see that photo a couple of years ago where I mowed the grass and it was like three feet long? Yeah, that was them. So we literally helped put this woman into a, in a crate and they shipped her off to New Jersey. And um, when we followed up with them, I thought, oh, they were going to buy her a house or something or, you know, and, and nope, they put her right into a nursing home, took everything out here, sold everything. And I'm like, I felt so bad being part of that process because I felt like I shipped the lady off to her destiny of being locked up in a, like, like your dad said, the prison. Yeah. <laughs> I, Chris, you had me laughing so hard in your eulogy. I swear to God, <laughs> drop him off at the prison. And the funniest thing ever was when you call him the cockroach. <laughs> oh my God. I, my wife and I were dying laughing. We were like, that is so funny though. Cause I had a great, but it was, laugh. it was a compliment. I mean, he no, didn't right? think it, he was like, I don't think that's very nice. I'm like, I'm, I'm telling you, it's a compliment, but Phil, uh, you listen to me. <laughs> he affectionately yeah. called his mechanic, this mechanic cross in the prison. But yeah. I remember, I didn't say this, but I, I'd come in and he'd be in a wheelchair and I'd, I'd put him in and I'd just kind of push him in there. I said, he's your problem now. I'm out of here. And then yeah. everyone would laugh, you know, and he would yeah. think that was just awesome. <laughs> yeah. Well, they, they know, they know. I mean, and that that's the, I think the right approach to take to it. You know, if you have a little fun and you go visit everybody and let them know they're important to you and it, it's hard though. I mean, I, I can't imagine being on the other side of that, that uh, equation where you're the one getting dropped off again. And you're like, damn, I've got two, three, four days where I'm not going to see anybody except for the the nurse or the provider. And, uh, and you watch TV and you listen to how everybody tells you how everything hurts and how sick they are. And I mean, it's, it's, it is kind of a, a weird thing though. Yeah, I think the, the main thing is because uh, the way of life is much slower, slower over there. Obviously, in America, yeah. we're one, run, run, work, work, work. But uh, I've seen two really good examples of it that you still got your privacy, but then you're still next to each other. One was my uh, coach in, in Italy. His wife's grandfather built their home. and It was like a four story, looked like kind of like an apartment building, you know, yeah. and uh, on the top floor, um, you know, I think they had the daughter lived up there and then below that was the mother and then the grandparents were on the second one and they were on the bottom one. And then so awesome. like grandma would cook food and then she had like a thing where you put it out the window and it goes down to like uh, like uh, the, the other rooms. So you don't have to see each other. Right. And then it was it was just really interesting. Like um, they, they still kept their privacy, but um, they're all right next to each other if they need anything, needed help. And of course, in Italy, they all eat usually lunch together and, and whatnot. But then also in Albania, where they had a whole business, they had a cafe on the top. Then they had like the son who was like 40 um, staying there. Below that, the the grandparents were staying. Then below that was kind of like hotel rooms. And then below that, they even had like another like long term stay type place. Okay. It was all like intertwined together. And then, you know, grandparents would take care of the young children. And it was just interesting. And they, they ran the cafe shop, too. So it was like a whole you know, operation going on in one building. Yeah. That's, that's, I wish we, you know, I think Minneapolis is getting more towards that, you know, with their no zoning rules, you can kind of turn anything into anything you want now, but um, for a long time, it wasn't that way. And so, you know, a lot of the suburbs still have very stringent rules on, we want your house to look a certain way. We want it to, you know, and they don't let you modify it or, or make a bedroom for a grandma or a gra- or anybody, you know, Rooneyville will, but. 
That's still under work. Rudyville allows that. Yes. Encourages. Yes. Hey, I got a couple of uh, grandmother making you a fresh meal every day. Forget about it. Forget. I'd be like looking my head up the up the other. Hey, you gonna hurry up? <laughs> <laughs> hey, old lady, get moving. <laughs> Let me do a couple of these things so I can clip it easier um, for later in the week. I got two social media things, but it's going to be brought to you by Andy Prasky, preferred home team. So there's Andy. Well, they said I could have 30 seconds on the show for a quick ad. Andy Prasky, Remax Advantage Plus, Andy at Prasky.com if you want to email us. Here's the thing. 22 years in the business, over 1,400 sales. I'd like to help you with your real estate needs. If that's buying, if that's selling, if that's building, whatever it is, give us a call, send us an email. Let's get you started on your real estate journey. I'd like to help you on the way. Uh, lots of experience here, and I uh, would like to put it to work for you. Andy Prasky, Remax Advantage Plus. Thanks for listening to the show. The I, still, I, I still go back to your, your eulogy, man. I, I really, I knew your dad, but I didn't know your dad. I loved his story too. I, I, I don't think we do that enough. You know, you go to some of these funerals and they don't talk about, you know, the, how cool these people were and where they came from. And this, to me, that story is fascinating. You know, how many kids there are, how many, you know, brothers and sisters they have. And I love those. I, well, anyway, I'm a people person, but I, I love to hear that stuff. Yeah. Like I said there, I, I had a friend do it for his dad and I was just, when I was there, I said, I have to do it. I, you know, that's yeah. not like, that's not the speech that you're looking forward to. And it's not very easy to get it out, but yeah. it was uh, well worth it. Cause I've heard a lot of people say a lot of really nice things about that. And uh, it wasn't that great eulogy, but they, they did, they got to know him a little more and you understand yeah. a little better because it's, yeah, it's you don't hear that. Man. Connecting yeah. people together and understanding the the reason behind the, the, the will behind the way, you know, and it's like the, what, what I uh, kind of found interesting, you know, with, with that whole thing is that you're sharing stories that you normally don't share in a normal conversation. So you feel closer to the family, you feel whatever. And it's, it's a nice way to kind of give everybody a hug. I think I, I really do. I, I love it. I, I remember my, my father-in-law um, when, when he passed away, Bob Stinerson. And I remember the, uh, cause it's, it's hard for everybody. You know what I mean? And he was 55 for God's sakes. I mean, ah, that's crazy. But anyway, we were sitting there and, and I remember listening to my mother-in-law say, he jokingly said, when I die, I want to get buried in my, in my shooting shirt. My, it's got the big patch right here, you know, it's orange and whatever. And, and uh, so I'm a, I'm a two X at best. Three X is pretty comfortable for me normally on shirts and Bob's an XL. And Bob, Bob was like, she, so she wouldn't bury him. She goes, I'm not going to bury him in a hunting shirt. It's just not going to happen. So he wanted open casket. He wanted this hunting shirt on. So I come up to do the eulogy and I do the old rip the jacket off and I'm wearing his hunting shirt. <laughs> and I go, well, I said, I got to be honest with you, Betty, Bob won here a little bit, you know, and went through and, and talked. Oh my God. I, I, uh, I just, cause it's such a cool thing. I think, you know, it just, I don't know. Yeah, visit that... often as, as I think, I think you said visit often or your, your, was it your niece? That said, and I, and I took that to yeah. heart. Visit often because you never know it's going to be your last visit. Yeah. And amen. So true. Yeah, I think, uh, yeah, I didn't say that. No way. Yeah, I'll tell you <laughs> what, Chris. I, I actually, you know, uh, I was confused because you were being sensitive. And uh, <laughs> I know. It was weird. Oh, my God. Weird. Lisa and I both loved it. You were so good. Oh, thank you. I appreciate that. Yeah. I appreciate it. It's well, and then different. every time you, you, you coached us to, cause you're a great public speaker and we're sitting there and you go, um, well, now I've been told every time I, if I get ner a little, whatever, kicking in my emotions to drink water. And then, so every time you drink water, we'd start crying. Oh, <laughs> oh wow. Jeez. I, oh my God. Yeah, I'm doing it right now. I started, I totally was sobbing at that. I, oh my God. You had me totally water works. <laughs> then your boy comes up there and had me dying laughing his stories. And you know, you know what I enjoyed more about anything between you and Nick is what you're doing right now. I, I, I was listening to Nick, but I was more having fun watching how you were responding to Nick's stories. <laughs> uh -huh. oh, his, were, his were definitely colorful. They were, 
but my dad would have loved it. Would have loved right. it. Yeah. That that was a that was what I was telling Lisa, my wife. So after the stories were over, we were kind of driving home, and I said, you know, there was a there was a, a whole um, not only just an experience being told by by and, and Nick, you can hear us, so you can jump in any time. But there was actually an, a, there was a life lesson that was taught to him from his grandfather to be there, to be present at things, and to, to come all the way across the, the world from freaking Taiwan. Um, and or were you in Taiwan, right? Uh, Thailand. I, sorry, my bad. Well, in Thailand, comes all the way home after having this wonderful experience, great vacation, all these cool things are happening, and you come home, and and you know, and it's like you said, your grandpa would have been happy either way. But what I liked is that you came. That ah, oh, that was cool, man. Appreciate it. That's and then I, the other thing was your little nephews or your cousins. They oh my god, they were laughing so hard at you, Nick. They, there was a whole row of them. I think it was Bruce. Are those all Bruce's kids? Couple. They, Maria's, Maria's, yeah. Okay, yeah, and they're all these guys are, you know, they look like they're anywhere from probably, you know, thirteen to twenty-five, and they're all sitting there doing going, ah, ah, ah. they were dying <laughs> at your stories. <laughs> oh my goodness, it was I, I was like I said, I was observing everybody around the church, and I, I was listening to some of it, but oh my goodness, guys, I left there with the biggest smile. I felt great. Thank you, by That's the good. way, for both sharing your stories. It was fun. That's good. All right, let's just knock out these last social media ones so I can clip it easier. All right, guys. Family, 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 family. Oh, oh, oh. Not endorsed have, by Andy or Chris. So we have to comment. Everything yes, was yes, going so nicely. Jail. A lot of people refer to that whole um, that company as more like. Uh, <laughs> Drinking the drinking the Kool Aid, um, they do a lot of uh, meetings. They do so. They do good stuff too, though. They really do. Sure, they do. You know, so it's just they, it's, one thing I think that is interesting about that company. Um, back, I actually I looked at that outfit years ago, and I did like the idea that it's it is agent centric. There's a lot of cool stuff they do there. Um, the one thing that kept holding me back from ever joining something like that was the way that they pay you. And that was it. it and, and they they structure it kind of like a, a pyramid where you can make money, have somebody below you, just like EXP and just like Exit Realty. And there's like you recruit somebody in and then you make money off of them. And there's so many people deep you can go. So what essentially the broker does is employs them, uh, the, the real estate agents, as their recruiters, which is brilliant. Um, I've actually stolen a page from their book on that where the agents on my team do recruiting. Yeah. And, you know, and it's it and, and lots of training. So, you know. When you look at those big companies, they do tons of training and they, they do charge for their training a lot of times. So, you know, that's a profit center for them. But there's nothing wrong with that. I'd rather be, you know, in, in the loop and know what's going on than to be some dummy sitting in my house by myself and have nothing to do. True. Very true. Right. If you ever feel like your job is pointless, just remember that realtors in major cities are going to drive to a 2.33 bedroom starter home that's been on the market for 126 days with one price cut of 15,000 with 8% mortgage rates and do a four open four hour open house this weekend. Uh, I've, I've had those open houses where you just know, you know, you got to do it. You got to get it out there, but yeah. maybe it's not priced correctly or it's not uh, staged right. And you're just, I mean, th those are horrible. I won't do those anymore. Refuse. It's not just a waste of time. You're sitting there doing nothing. You just heard everyone. Well, this is what I tell everybody this. I go, so let, let's talk about it out loud. I mean, in, in theory, you have a, uh, a sign in the front yard. You have your website. You have all that information that's available. Somebody will that's really interested will call, and they will say, hey, do you mind showing me this property um, with or without an agent? The, the, I think the information is going to still be gathered, right? They're still going to make that call or reach out. On the other hand, an open house, yep, somebody's on their way to a wedding, and they got a half hour to kill, and they stop by an open house. Does it ever sell it? Sure. But the odds are so low. You know, the idea is real estate agents want exposure. And so the idea that, you know, if, if an open house can create exposure that other things can't, you know, I, that's why people, let me put it this way. Do people do garage sales or do they go to marketplace for Facebook? They go to marketplace. Yeah. And, and a lot, I mean, there are the still the traditional garage sales, but they want, what do those people do? Um, this says, this cup says 30 cents. I'll give you a nickel. I mean, and then they don't want to pay what you're offering. You know, 
it's a different mentality when you have people coming to you. So I don't know. Good point. Sorry. This is the very first of many articles you're going to see like this. Why in the world do you think JP Morgan is looking to buy $1 billion worth of single family homes? I'll tell you why. Because the market is showing signs of stabilization in mortgage rates and prices. A medium prices were actually up 9.7% in Atlanta month over month. They were up 0.2% in Miami. So things are starting to change just a little bit. And look at what JP Morgan's doing right here, guys. Pay attention. Attention. Yep. You never know. We'll we'll see. Again, the market is not horrible. It's just not. I'm pretty sure those guys at those big banks follow us on social media and they listen to us. Totally. I'm pretty sure. Allegedly. They were viewer podcasts on Friday, talk about them on Monday, make their decisions on Tuesday. It's obvious. It's it's pretty simple. It it really is. It works. It, It works. So, uh, I like that guy though. He's doing a lot of positive real estate content out there. I like it too, man. Yeah, it's good. It's positive. It's always good because, I mean, think about this. Everybody that's in housing is invested. They all are curious. I mean, I had that question to me yesterday several times. What's going on in the market? Is it horrible? Are we crashing? Are we whatever? And it's interesting listening to the conversations around the room, people who work different places. Um, I got guys that are in commercial real estate that are going bananas right now. I got guys that are landscaping that already have half of next year already sold out. I mean, so it's not like this economy is stopping, guys. It's still rolling. Yeah. It's, just, it's just different. Beautiful. All right, awesome. I think we pieced together enough good content here. Uh, make sure to give us a little review on the iTunes, Spotify. Posting three clips a week on the YouTube and the Facebook. Hey, last week, a lot of clips are making their ways. People in Rochester were sharing our, our stories about when we talked about Med City. Yeah, um, we're getting back in our groove and, and things are moving. So send in any questions yeah. you guys have and uh, we'll see you next week. Right. All right, guys. Thanks for joining us this week on the Real Estate Radio Hour. Don't forget to visit our website, realestateradiohour.com, where you can subscribe to the show on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, or your preferred podcast listening app. If you enjoyed today's episode, we'd appreciate a rating on iTunes or sharing us with a friend. Until next time, stay awesome, Twin Cities.